of mine was injured in a water-related accident. He and his brother and a few other friends uh, were shallow diving off a boat. They had all been doing it all morning long and having a good time. And David dove in again, but this time something happened. And nobody knows for sure what happened. Uh, They don't know if he somehow uh, hit the bottom on that dive or he dove into a semi-submerged log or what, but he broke his neck. He was lying there on the bottom, unable to move. He began to pray, Lord, let somebody find me quick. I can't hold out much longer. And back on the surface, they began to realize that David was still under the water. And someone spoke the words, where's David? And at first they thought maybe he was playing a joke and hiding from them. And then they became alarmed. They knew something is wrong. Something had gone on too long. Someone else said, if this is a joke, it's not funny. And they were frightened. Something must have happened to him. And Derek, his, his younger brother, had been standing right near where David had entered the water. And he began feeling for him when he bumped up against something. And he reached down and pulled his brother up just in time. And David couldn't move. They got him to the shore to wait for medical personnel, whom they called by cell phone. And then they called his dad and mom, who got there before the ambulance arrived, but was on the other shore of the river. Uh, There was only room for one in the little boat that was waiting there to take uh, uh, them to their son. And so dad went, mom stayed and waited. And when David saw his father, he told him he was paralyzed. He blurted the words out. They would have been too terrible for him to hear someone else say. It was terrible enough for him to say it. I think he had to say it before anyone else did. Now, all of this happened in North Carolina where they live. And when we heard the report, Ann and I heard about it, uh, we were told that David had broken his neck, but he was going to be fine that everything was going to be uh, okay. And we gave thanks to God, and we, we shared the accident and the good news that David was going to be fine with our uh, prayer meeting on Tuesday nights. But over the next several months, however, we learned slowly the truth of David's condition. Things began to look worse and worse. It, it wasn't as though David were deteriorating. He, he was never okay to start with. We'd never been told the truth. We were, we were not told the real extent of his injuries. He was paralyzed. He couldn't walk. He had very little use of his hands, although he could move his arms some. We were told that David was fine, that he would be okay. We were told all of that because his dad and mom were convinced that God would heal them. And in their church, in in one of those so-called word of faith movements, they had convinced themselves that God always heals. But only if you believe and say it. You have to speak it for it to come true, and you have to believe it, and you have to speak it again, and you can never, ever allow any doubts to enter in, because if you doubt, God will not answer your prayer. So you have to believe. They could not even admit the possibility that their son would never walk again. 
For to do so in their world is looked on as a lack of faith, and it ensures that God will not give you what you so desire. That was three years ago now, and David is still not walking, though there is some small improvement in the use of his hands. This past fall at our annual family reunion in North Carolina, I had my first opportunity to talk to David's parents. And the dad just kept saying, God's going to heal him. We just have to trust. We just have to have faith in God. As you can tell when you talk to him, it weighs on him. And yet he can't allow any of what they call doubt to enter their mind or their hearts. I sat next to David's mom on the sofa, and I asked her how she was doing. It it broke my heart to hear her. She, She was in such pain, and she couldn't grieve. She, too, was trying to main, remain brave in the, in the face of all this. She, too, said, God's going to heal David. I know he is. And then she says, I just don't understand why he's taking so long, but I have to believe, and the weight of it all was crushing her. And David, their son, is desperately clinging to that belief himself. He says over and over again that God's going to heal him. He tells his wife, who desperately hopes that it's so, he tells his five-year-old son that he's going to walk again. He posts it on Facebook, and he tells the world. David's latest declaration is 2019 is the year that he's going to walk again. And I want you to know, I dearly want David to walk again. I pray for him just about every day. But what if he doesn't? What if he never walks again in this life? What will his little boy think? How will his wife deal with another crushing blow? The first the injury, and then this. What will happen to David's faith. We we live in a wild world that even the most driven or wisest of people cannot tame. It's a world that makes no distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous. A world where good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. The world was made by God, and when he made it, it was made good and right and beautiful until sin was unleashed, which twisted it, ushering in all kinds of evil and sadness and sorrow that all people, believers and unbelievers alike, have to endure. The good thing is is that God has not abandoned us. And there is a promise of better things yet to come, which brings us to our text today. So we're in the Old Testament, and we've been uh, there since October, and we've been studying Ecclesiastes, one of the books of wisdom included in our Bible. And Solomon, the wisest person who's ever lived, with the exception of Jesus Christ, wrote this book. And he's told us before in our study that our world is inscrutable. It's, it's beyond our knowing or understanding, and that it's unfair. And he picks up that theme again, and he he talks more about death and about living in the face of death. But he also talks about a chance, a chance which everyone has, but they only have it for a very short time. 
A chance which must be taken when it can, before the night falls and darkness comes forever. So I want to invite you to join me once again in the Old Testament, in the book of Ecclesiastes. This time we're going to look at the end of chapter 8 and part of chapter 9. Or you can follow along on the slides on either side of me. Now, we've already mentioned how unfathomable our world is and how wild it is and how it's beyond our efforts to, uh, or wisdom to, our efforts to control it or our wisdom, which is what Solomon says again at the end of chapter 8 and verses 16 and 17. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the labor that is done, done under the earth, people getting no sleep day or night, then I saw all that God has done. And no one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know, they cannot really comprehend it. You see, we live in this world that's wild, that even the most driven, even those that deprive themselves of sleep, or the wisest person that you know, we can't tame it and we can't understand it. It's really quite beyond us. Now, we've seen this before in Ecclesiastes, but it's so much a part of our fallen condition that we must be reminded of it again and again over and over. We cannot control this world. We can't even really understand it. And so the desire for wealth and power and even fame is made up of large parts of the desire to do just that, to control the events in our world. There's an old-fashioned word that sums up that desire in its entirety. Idolatry. In the Old Testament, to be accurate, throughout human history, down into our day, people have engaged in idolatry. In the Old Testament, people bowed down to to idols, uh, to statues made of wood and stone and covered with gold or silver and costly gems, gems. And they did this to entice the gods to do what the people wanted. They were seeking control over the events in their world, and they desired that control so much that some of them would burn their children alive in the fires of Topheth. That was to please the gods so they could get what they wanted. But you don't need wooden or stone statues to be idolatrous. How many men and women in our day have in essence bowed down to mammon in the pursuit of wealth so they could give a good life to the family or, or buy that vacation home so they could take their family there. How much time was robbed from spouses and children to pay for that home or that so-called good life? And then, too, how many children have been sacrificed in Moloch's abortion mills so people could just get on with And what about things like the Word of Faith movement, which promises unending health and wealth in this life? If you just believe hard enough, if you don't let any doubt enter your mind, if if you can do that, well, then God will do what you want. How is that like anything like faith at all? When everything depends on you and what you do, 
Let me read something to you. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. How does that compare to the word of faith movement? I mean, isn't Jesus our example? Hasn't he shown us there how to live and how to die? And how to suffer? I mean, idolatry may be an old-fashioned word, and you don't hear it much outside of Christian circles, but it is alive and well in the United States of America and throughout our whole world. Now, now don't misunderstand me. Faith does matter. I mean, it really does matter. But, but faith means trusting in God in whatever comes into your life, not getting everything you want, we're gliding through this life without any cares. I mean, God could well heal David. I hope he does. But one can live by faith either way. Faith matters, but it's not magic. And God has a plan and a purpose. And we can't thwart that no matter what we think. We also understand that it, to understand we're not fadeless. I mean, we are made in the image of God. We can change not only this world, but we're able by our prayers and by our lives through faith to change the contours of eternity. But we are not in control. Our God is, and we had better never forget that or we will bow down to that which is not God. So this wild world... Is a stage on which we live our lives. And in verse 1 of chapter 9, Solomon tells us his deductions after considering reality. And he begins to tell us what our lives look like as we make our way across this stage. And so we read in verse 1, So I reflected on all this and I concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. His deduction here, God is in control. We are in his hands. It's what Solomon, the way Solomon puts it. But both the righteous and the unrighteous are in his hands. God orders our lives. And yet Solomon goes on to say, even though God has things in hand, no one, no one at all, not the righteous nor the wicked, no one knows whether they will be met with love or hate. Now, we want to believe that the righteous will be met with love and the wicked alone will be met with hate, but it's not so. I mean, just look around you. You'll see it every day, everywhere. Jesus warned us, his followers, that the same world which hated him would hate us. While those who persecute his people, well, they'll be spoken spoken well of in this world. All the while, they're going from bad to worse and deceiving and being deceived. 
Of course, it's not all one way, right? I mean, the righteous are loved by God and they're loved by other righteous people and, and even unbelievers who uh, recognize some of the good that's in them. And many people inside the faith and outside the faith see through the deceptions of the wicked. The point is, the world is wild and beyond our control and our understanding. And in this wild world we live in, good people are both hated and loved and so are bad people, both hated and loved. And Solomon goes on to say, not only do humans not know whether they're going to be met uh, with love or hatred by the world around them, you can't even tell the difference between the righteous and the wicked by the things that happen to them in their lives. Verse 2, all share a common destiny. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so it is with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so it is with those who are afraid to take them. The things which happen to people in this life, those things, whatever they are, good or bad, happen to both the righteous and the wicked, and you cannot tell them apart because of the things that happen to them. It doesn't matter how religious or irreligious it doesn't matter how devoted or devoid of devotion you are, how good or bad you are, the same kinds of things happen to all people. That's what all, all, all Solomon meant when he talked about those things, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, and those who offer sacrifices and don't. You see, however you live, you cannot tell what will happen to you in your life. No matter how devoted you are to Jesus Christ, you cannot, by your devotion, control the things in this world. You cannot do that so that you can avoid the bad things that might come your way or, or into the lives of those you love as much as we wish we could. There's a striking verse in Revelation chapter 13. It's verse 10, and it says this. He's talking to the believer. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with the sword they will be killed. And this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Patient endurance. That term is used three other times in the New Testament. Two of them are in Revelation, but one isn't. And there are many similar passages scattered throughout the Testament indicating it's not just people in the end of the end times who have to patiently endure, but all Christians throughout time will endure hardships. And by the way, it's just not the bad things that we can't avoid. Um, God sends good things into our lives even when we don't deserve them. And even the wicked receive good things in their lives. Both happen to the righteous and the unrighteous. Both good things and bad things happen to all people, whether they're believers or unbelievers. In this wild world, both good people and bad people, they're both hated and loved. And you can't tell the difference between them because of what's happened or what's happening in their lives. Now, I need to explain something to you before we can go on. Uh, and it's about that word destiny that we just read in verse 2. Uh, and I need to explain this so we can understand what we're going to see in that next uh, verse when we see that word destiny appear again. That Hebrew word translated uh, here uh, as destiny has a range of meaning. 
Uh, and it can mean in the end uh, that you will arrive at. And that's what our destiny commonly means, right? It usually means our end. But in the Hebrew, it can also mean like chance or fortune or accident. In other words, it can mean something like a common lot in life. And that's the way it's used in verse 2. The same kinds of things happen to uh, the righteous and the wicked in this life. They, they share a common lot, so much so that you can't even tell them apart by the things that happen. But when we get to verse th- uh, 3, Solomon really is talking about destiny and the way we think about it, the end of our life. And there in verse 3, Solomon is talking about death, and this is what he says. Both the righteous and the wicked die. So we read there in verse 3, this is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of the people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterwards, they join the dead. That's our destiny, at least as far as this life is concerned. We are going to join the dead. We all die, the good and the bad, the believer and the unbeliever alike. Now, what Solomon did is he, he led up to this. He began by talking about how both the righteous and the wicked will experience both love and hate. And then that both experience both the good and bad things in this life. And finally, he states this truth, which all people really already know, uh, though they try hard to forget it, that everyone dies. Some sooner, some later, but death is waiting for all of us. Are you depressed? There's good news yet to come. But death is waiting for all of us. And if you start there with the fact that all die, it is not at all surprising that everyone faces hardships in this life. Is it? Yet that's the very place where the evil person revolts, he recoils. They say in their hearts, if I have to die anyway, why can't I have a good life while I live? Why shouldn't I get all that I can get? And many of them simply sell their souls for what ends up being a mess of pottage. Now, in just a moment, um, Solomon is going to tell the wicked that there's another way to look at all of this. But before we go there, before we can leave this verse... Solomon gives us a kind of a reason for, uh, for all the things that he's been talking about. Now, the Hebrew in the beginning of verse 3 uh, is very difficult, uh, and so is the English translation, but this is what it says. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. And you'll remember uh, from our times before that under the sun usually symbol, symbolic of the life in this world, right? And Solomon goes on to say the same destiny, that's death, overtakes all. So, so the evil, which is in everything, is death. Sin gives birth to death. It has affected everything in this life. The, the presence of sin in our world means the righteous and the wicked will be both loved and hated and that both will endure hardship in this life and both will in the end die. 
Sin has affected, it's twisted, tainted, polluted, distorted, spoiled, everything. Notice what he says there in verse 3. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that Solomon is just talking to the wicked here? He is not. Now, maybe you're a better person than I am, and I hope you are, but I expect you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when I say, for my part, I faced a kind of a constant battle in order to guard my heart against sin, even to chase the evil that has found lodging there out of my heart. And I know the insanity, the madness, the folly of sin that it crouches right outside of my door. And the bolt that holds that door shut is within my reach. And it would be insanity to throw open that bolt, but many do. And we're all tempted. We are sinful people, all of us. That is a fact, and Solomon is reminding of us, us of that. But do you know what Solomon is not saying here? He is not saying that if some bad thing happens to you in your life, it's because of your sin, something that you did, that you're, that you're getting what you deserve. I mean, sometimes that's true, right? I mean, sometimes bad things happen to people in their lives, and it can be traced directly back to some sin, but only when there's a direct connection. Oh, so you're going to prison, are you? Well, that's because you embezzled that money, or your wife left you and has taken the children. It's because you violated the marriage bed. And at times like that, there's no doubt to what it is and how that sin is connected to what's happening in your life. But that's not what Solomon's getting at here. What he's saying is there is sin in this world and that sin and death have affected everything in this world and so bad things happen because of the evil here in everything in our world. You don't think my relative David was a worse person than all the other people on the boat with him that day, do you? I mean, I mean, you know, don't you, what Jesus said when he was told about the Galileans at Pilate massacred? Do you, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? Jesus went on to say, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. You haven't forgotten about Job, have you? And all that which that righteous man had to endure. The evil is in our world as a result of sin. But you, had be, you would be better off thinking that it strikes absolutely at random than looking down on someone, thinking they're suffering some misfortune in this life because of their own personal sin. I mean, after all, each one of us, the righteous and the wicked, are going to die. Such times when a disaster strikes someone, we ought to be there for that person. We ought to be with them in grace, mercy, and love, and not judgment. In this wild world that's beyond our control or understanding, both good and bad people 
are both hated and loved. Good things and bad things happen to all people, whether they're believer or unbeliever, so that you cannot even tell them apart by those things. And all of that, along with the death waiting for both you and me, is in our world because of sin. And that, how sin works its way out in the world and into individual lives, is utterly untraceable by any human being to some specific sin in someone's life. Now listen, all that we've said so far tells us about the stage uh, our life is lived on, and it tells us about the events that are going to come into our life which are beyond our control and understanding, events which aren't subject to us or even how devoted we are to God. And even the most devoted will experience love and hate and good and bad things, and in the end, they too will die. But, but we are more than just pawns. We are also actors on the stage of life. And we can affect, we can change, we can alter, we can influence the world around us and its people. We, we can change it for ourselves too. Not in everything, not in every way, but in something. And the first real act that Solomon uh, talks about here, it's not necessarily the first act that a person does, though it's the most important one, but the first act that Solomon talks about here is the choice we make about where we're going to spend eternity. It's a choice that leads to life or death. So we read in verse 4 and following, anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know what, that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. And then verse 6 finishes off the dead, who, those who don't respond to God's gracious offer of life, by telling us this. Their love, their hate, their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part of anything that happens under the sun. And those who don't heed God's call... They may have been lions when they lived, but they are dead lions now. Worse off than a dog that's still alive. They have no real knowledge. Knowledge that can lead to any change that matters one way or another. Whatever they might know, it revolves forever about themselves. They've gotten all the rewards they will ever know. In this life, they have left already behind forever. And though they thought they might have made a name for themselves, they're already forgotten. They are dead emotionally. Their love, their hate, their jealousy, they're all gone forever. They will never know life. The one taste they had of it has been swallowed up in death and nothing but death lies before them. Living, living have hope. Anyone who can hear these words... Anyone who can still read these words has hope. But what's the hope in? It can't be in us. It can't be in the world we live in. It's not in the people around us. They're subject to the same forces and frailties we are. Even the most devoted cannot guarantee their own future. And in that sense, they're no better off than we. They certainly can't help us in that way. Solomon is so abundantly demonstrated in all of that. There is only one place where we can find any hope. It's in God. The text tells us 
holds us in his hand. The living still know, and the living can still respond. Now, now I don't know if you, if you know this or not, but many Bible scholars will tell you that people in the Old Testament didn't really know about eternal life uh, because it's not really talked about a whole lot there, right? And, and the scholars will say that the Old Testament people were really only concerned about this life. I've never bought into that. <laughs> you know, there are two reasons why someone may not talk about something. One is they don't know about it. And the other is, is that everyone knows about it. It's assumed it's part of the makeup of their thoughts. It's a background against which everything they say is said. And and though it may not be stated in the way the scholars want it, it's hinted at everywhere, right from the beginning. We were made in the image of God, the God who lives forever. The seed which would crush Satan's head was already in the body of the woman who sinned. The animals were sacrificed and their skin provided a temporary covering for Adam and Eve. And Abraham was given the land that he and his descendants would inhabit forever according to God's promises. But at his death, Abraham owned one small field with a cave at the end where he buried his dead. And he bought that. And yet he believed fully that he entrusted God fully that it was going to be in his possession, that land. And God promised him so. He will possess it, though he has been dead now for 3,000 years. Job, the oldest writing in our Bible, said this, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will again stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. No, my friends, God's people have always known that life does not end at the grave. They've known that a day is coming, a day of judgment and fire where the dead are raised, some to life everlasting and some to damnation. And Solomon is calling those on his readers and calling on any who are here to choose life, to answer God's call. So is he calling you now? Now, is he? Do you hear him speaking to you? What's happening in your heart right now? Have you any feeling, any fear, any hope? Are you still alive? Don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know even what is in store for you today or the next hour. Don't leave here without answering that call. Call on him while you can. Verse 12 puts it this way. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come as fish are caught in a cruel net where birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly on them. For when death comes, their choice is gone forever. Don't let death take you. Give yourself to God, who will keep you safe forever. Christ died on the cross so you could be forgiven, so you could have eternal life. He went to the garden and he went to the cross 
for you. Won't you go through this life with him into the next with him? As much as I want to keep going, for there's so much more to say in this chapter uh, about God's love for us, about this world that we live in, but I think we have to end right here and now uh, for what I just said is just too important to set aside. There may be people here who have all their lives they've gone to church and they know about God but they've never put uh, their faith in Christ. They have no personal relationship with him. They've known about him but it's gone no further. And there may be for people here who have never even heard of such things before now and yet now they hear and they understand now. And others maybe have heard it all their life, but never understood it until this moment. And so because of that, we're going to stop. We're not going to go any further today. And I'm going to ask every, every elder, whether you're past or present elder, if you've ever served as an elder, I, I want you to stand up in church. I know two of them are already out of the room. You can stand up right where you are. And if your wives will stand up. And then I, I, I would like, uh, Sharon, that's you too. <laughs> and I'd like, a, I'd like a few of our deacons and their wives, if you'd stand up for me, please, too. I, I want you to remain standing. It's not, I'm not going to keep you there long, but please just stand there. Now, let me say this. If, if you're here today, and if you even think that God may be speaking to you about eternity, I want you to look at those that are around you right now. And I want you to, I want you to find the one that's closest to you. And, and, and I want you to lock your sights on that person. And as soon as the music starts and, and everyone else stands up, I, I want you to make a beeline over to him or her and ask them to show you the way to life. Uh, they may get someone to come with you, but that's okay. But together, they'll show you the way to the cross. They will show you the way home. For, for you are lost. You're lost. And you're in need of guidance. And so I'm going to pray, and then the music's going to start. But don't wait. Don't wait. Get a hold of one of those people. Settle it today while you still have a chance. Pray with me, please. Father, I don't know who's here today. I don't know uh, what's going on inside of their hearts. Or that's way beyond me. But I know you know. And I know that you've been speaking to that person for a long time. And I know, Lord, um, that, that they've heard that. And maybe they haven't even recognized it. Maybe it's just been more of a kind of thing in the back of their mind. Or, or something tugging around the edges of their soul. And... And maybe for the first time they're beginning to realize that, um, that you're real, that you're alive, and that you care about them, that you have a claim on them. Lord, if there's anybody at all that's here like that, Lord, please, please prompt them, move them, encourage them, help them to come to you, to seek out help. And for all of us that are here today, Lord, help us to remember and we don't control this world, but we live by faith. And we trust a God who loves us more than we know. Who sent his son to save us. 
Help us to take that message and that truth with us everywhere. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.